visit the Downtown Den, join us through our website, all the W's, downtowninbusiness.com. Stay in, stay safe, visit the Downtown Den. John Ashton is uh, in the Downtown Den. John has been um, quite critical of the government's response to COVID-19. Um, and he's also thrown his hat in the ring to become the police and crime commissioner for the Liverpool City Region. Election will now happen in May 21. John, I want to start with your thoughts on the government's handling of the coronavirus crisis, though, because some people would suggest your comments have been controversial. I would suggest you're just uh, putting questions that many of us would like to to government and to ministers. Yeah, well, when it comes to my um, comments on the government's approach to the coronavirus, it became clear to me very early in February that we had a major problem on our hands. And uh, because I'd also got involved in advising the Bahrain government on the coronavirus at that end, and I've been twice to Bahrain in the last uh, six or seven weeks, I, I realized exactly what needed to happen because they really got a grip on it very early on. They asked me to come there and critique what they were doing. And that was really satisfying because they actually did everything I told them to do. And they're really doing very, very well. Um, they've only had six deaths. It's only, it's only two million population, but it's quite a complex society. It's in the middle of the Gulf. They have a, almost a million uh, guest immigrant workers in labor camps and uh, you know difficult places they have a lot of religious pilgrims who go off to Iran to the holy sites 50% of them have been coming back corona positive and they had to deal with all of that and they did it very systematically uh, screening people testing 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 as been said by WHO um, contact tracing isolating quarantining and uh, treating, doing it by the book. So when I came back from uh, Bahrain and I saw what was going on here, I was tearing my hair out because we weren't doing anything. We weren't taking it seriously. The prime minister had failed to convene COBRA at the beginning of February when it became clear what was happening. And it just went from bad to worse then. I mean, and all of this stuff about the testing we failed to assess how much kit we needed, didn't get the orders in, didn't go in with uh, Europe on the joint ordering of stuff. So we're at the back of the queue, been running to catch up all the way through. That's been compounded uh, by the lack of um, uh, open communications with the public and this stage managing of the press conferences where the uh, journalists who are put there to interrogate uh, the government and its advisors can never get a straight answer. And, you know, this thing about um, only having hospital death data, which is all we've got to go on because we haven't got testing data, it's now become revealed to be how limited it is because we're not counting the deaths in care homes or indeed deaths at home. Because what's going on now is that people are being uh, assessed in the first place at home in the community to see if they will benefit from going into hospital. A lot of people aren't being referred to hospital at all and they're just staying at home. So there's probably quite a lot of, hospital, of home deaths and community uh, care deaths 
which aren't being measured. So, you know, how much of this is deliberate um, and, and uh, a desire to manage the news, whether it's for fear of panicking the public or whether it's just because the government wants to put a gloss on it, and how much of it is incompetence, really, and not having the investment in emergency planning, the investment in public health itself has been dramatically reduced over the last seven years since the reforms of the NHS and the establishment of Public Health England. And really, I think, compared with the noble tradition of public health in the UK, we're in a very weak position and we haven't acquitted ourselves well. So uh, I continue to be concerned. But, you know, when I made my television appearance on Question Time and on Newsnight in the middle of March, I was really desperate to try and get them to take the whole thing seriously. I mean, since then, they've had to take it seriously, but they needed to be woken up. In terms, John, of um, what the government's big failings have been... I can't hear you, Frank. Sorry, John. John, John, in terms of the key failings of the government, do you believe that the testing was the biggest factor in where we are now, or do you actually think that we should have locked down sooner? Well, I think they failed to do the contact tracing at the very beginning when we only had a few cases. If they'd got to grips with the contact tracing, they could have quarantined people, as the Wuhan uh, folk were quarantined at Arrow Park on the Wirral. They could have continued to do that, but they lost control of the contact tracing. Now, whether that's because we didn't have enough troops on the ground in public health departments to do the contact tracing, that's one possibility of that. But they lost control of the contact tracing. The testing really needed to come in at that point and you know and we still need to do the testing if we're ever going to be able to ease off the uh, lockdown the testing is very much part of that because we need to be able to let people go back to work we need to keep an eye on them i mean one of the things i've been calling for uh, for the last few weeks is to say that all these essential workers and the volunteers really need to be sleeping under a different roof from people who are vulnerable. So they should be in hotels, in guest houses, in schools, given over to dormitory accommodation, so they can go about their normal business without worrying about it. But then they need to be tested probably every week to see if they uh, have encountered the virus. Then they could be isolated again. But you know, to be able to do this, you have to be doing large numbers of testing on a regular basis so that you can move people away and do the contact tracing and shut down any outbreaks in the community of essential workers and volunteers. You've conceded, John, that Bahrain is a very different sort of place to the UK. Is there anywhere in mainland Europe that you think have handled this crisis better, where we could learn lessons from? Yeah, well, people say Bahrain's a different kind of culture, it's a different kind of place. Uh, I still think there's lessons can be learned there, but clearly somewhere like Denmark or Germany, where they took prompt action, where they've done a lot of testing and where they're beginning to be able to talk about easing off, uh, really they've, they're in a different ballpark from ourselves. I mean, the Germans 
have been testing over 100,000 people a day. I mean, we're struggling to get up to 20 or 30,000 deaths uh, screens a day. Um, Denmark were very quick off the mark. They shut down very quickly. And this week, they've started to ease off with talk about them reopening the schools. Um, so, you know, we, we've really missed out. We lost an initial uh, four weeks. We lost February. And then we were slow to get to go going in, in March. And um, we're still playing catch up. I mean, goodness knows what the toll of death is going to be now in the care homes, because here you have a sector with 400,000 plus people in it. It's a very um, anarchistic kind of sector, lots of different players. Uh, there's a, some big chains, but lots of small holdings and so on. We've seen what can happen uh, with the care home in Wavertree with multiple deaths in recent days. And this week in Durham, we've had a care home with 13 deaths. And we really don't know what's going on because in the absence of testing, in the care homes and in the community, it's very unlikely that corona will feature on the death certificate. So it won't feature in the statistical analysis. John, in terms of what's happened, we can be critical of the government and I have some sympathy with the analysis that, that you've just outlined. Indeed, uh, I was as surprised as anyone to see things like the Cheltenham Festival and then the Madrid fans pouring into Liverpool for the Champions League game. I thought those things at the time were bizarre. And in hindsight, it looks an even dafter decision. But if we're looking forward and how we can get out of where we are now and how the government managers coming out of a lockdown and the transition, what would your advice be to them now? When it comes to seeing about easing off the lockdown, I think the government has to be very careful about this. They have to be confident that they've got adequate testing in place so that we know exactly where the virus is active around the country. Until the last couple of weeks, we could have probably got away with not having a lockdown down in the southwest of England or in the northeast of England because there were comparatively few cases there. We could have carried on doing testing and isolating and quarantining and contact tracing, but we left that too late. As we move forward now, if we get the testing up to speed, then we could progressively let areas out of the lockdown if they haven't got a lot of the virus circulating. And then we could identify where there are further outbreaks and shut them off, shut those places off by doing the testing. It always comes back to the testing, but we need to identify areas of the country we can ease off first, groups of essential workers who we can uh, let out to, to uh, get on with the business, as I say, and have like a cordon sanitaire of protection around the vulnerable people, the over 65s or 70s, and those with uh, particular medical conditions. Um, you know, we could begin to do it that way uh, if we had the testing, but it comes back all the time to the volume of testing. John, what would you say to those who are arguing for a, a quicker return back to normality, if I may put it that way, because of the economic damage to the country, 
but also to the other health implications that a lockdown causes around things such as mental health, for example? I think there is a very difficult discussion about the collateral damage of the lockdown, whether it's collateral damage to the economy, collateral damage in terms of mental health, in terms of delays to medical treatment for people with cancer and so on. These are real issues, but the problem is we're dealing here with an incredibly infectious virus. This is a very simple life form, but it's a very devious uh, bit of life form. And it can, it can fluctuate in its severity. It can go away and come back. There's evidence coming from South Korea that people have had it and seem to be recovered, might have a resurgence of the virus that they may not be getting very high antibody counts uh, in response to the virus and it might actually come back and then they might be infectious again. So these are very difficult things. I mean, I've been reading uh, the classic book of James Barry of the 1919 pandemic of influenza and um, there's some very salutary messages in there. This isn't an influenza virus, it's a coronavirus, but it's a similar kind of effect it has. And, you know, um, that epidemic in 1918-19 seemed to have gone away in the summer of 1918. And in many parts of uh, Europe and in America where it had been until then, it had been quite mild. There had been places in some of the army camps where the American soldiers had been being mobilized to come and join in the First World War. There were some army camps where it was very severe, but there were others where it was very mild. But in the autumn of 1918, it came back with a vengeance. And that's when it killed millions and millions of people. Now, what we might be looking at here is a, a similar kind of pattern to that. It might be that we get on top of the curve, the curve might flatten, it might seem to be going away, and then it might come back in the autumn when only a proportion of the population have been exposed to it, might have antibodies to it, and might be resistant to it. But it might come sweeping through in a, in a different form. It might affect a lot more younger people, for example, than it's been doing at the moment. We just don't know. This virus is an unknown quantity. We have to be really careful. I mean, at the moment, if you read the papers, you'll see that logistics companies are saying that they're beginning to experience 20% plus of truck drivers are going down sick now. You know, if you imagine if we let it let the brakes off and then the whole logistics system collapses uh, because of sickness among uh, truck drivers and, and other people who are essential to moving stuff around, you know, they've got to be really careful about this. It is about priorities. I think with mental health, we ought to be doing a lot more about how to support people online while they can't get access to direct clinical care and support that we should be able to do stuff about that given our uh, information technology and the, the digital media and all of that we should be able to do something about that and maybe we could even be doing something like that with cancer diagnosis actually much more remote medicine this this is in a curious funny sort of way an opportunity to exploit digital technology to transform the way we deliver medical care uh, if you can get your diagnosis online and maybe then go somewhere more local if you need chemotherapy or whatever it is without having to go to a remote center. I'm just suggesting those as ideas to be thought about. John, are you aware of, um, you will be aware of, of conversations and 
rumours about a vaccine um, being produced that can cope with, with this horrible, horrible virus, which you will understand far better than, than I do. Um, are you confident that um, you know, colleagues in your profession are close to, to coming up with that vaccine? V vaccine is the big hope in this. Um, you know, I've been reading today about collaboration between some of the big pharma companies really throwing everything at this. And normally it takes, you know, years to develop a new vaccine for a new virus, but they seem cautiously optimistic that we might well have a vaccine within 12 months. Um, you know, and in a way what we've got to do is somehow manage our way through uh, till that comes on stream. That's gonna be the thing that makes the difference with this. That and maybe some of the treatments that have been uh, tried that have been used for other uh, illnesses but aren't licensed uh, for um, th this virus and where there are trials going on for using those drugs. Dr drugs that have been used for Ebola, drugs that have been used for HIV, um, anti-malarials and so on, they may have a part to play. But in the end, what we've got to do is manage the situation at a population level, minimize the harm, and get through till this vaccine turns up in millions of doses. John, I, I just want to turn your attention to um, the, your decision to stand for the PPP, PPC position uh, for the Liverpool City region. Um, obviously, health is your love, your bag. Um, so it may seem to some a strange decision on your behalf to actually run for that type of uh, of role. So what's the motivation and what would you hope to do in that role? So talking about the um, Police and Crime Commission elections, which I had indicated before everything got frozen, I indicated I was going to um, stand in May. Uh, and I know some people think, what the nerd's that all about? Because the guy's public health guy. I've had a long-standing interest in police work. There's actually a very big overlap between public health and police work. If you think about um, drugs, alcohol, violence, road traffic accidents, um, safeguarding children, there's a lot of overlap. And actually, in the 19th century in Germany, they nearly put the police in charge of public health. It was, uh, they had a concept of medical police. Um, and I, I've worked closely with the uh, constabularies in the Northwest over many years when I was regional director of public health. And when Liam Donaldson was the chief medical officer, um, he asked me to take a lead on violence prevention for him at a national level. So for the last 20 years, I've had an interest in violence prevention. And therefore it was very logical when Jane Kennedy last year asked me to work with her on developing a public health strategy for violence prevention on Merseyside, you know. Mm. And this raises all kinds of issues which are very um, familiar to public health people. Talk about the early years, uh, parenting, uh, making sure that children are ready for school, that they've had any medical problems dealt with so they can benefit from school and they don't get alienated and fall out of school, get involved with gangs and all of that. So. You know, working on that violence um, prevention agenda 
really brought home to me, if it needed bringing home, uh, how familiar I was and how comfortable I was with that agenda. So uh, when Jane indicated she wasn't going to stand again, uh, I thought, well, why not give this a go? I could enjoy doing this. Um, and when you ask, well, what would I do? I, I think it's a bit like the comparison between the prevention side of public health and the National Health Service and Treatment. The police are dealing with the downstream side of, of life, you know, the problems that occur, the fallout of poverty, of disadvantage, of poor uh, upbringing and so on. Um, public health is always interested in the preventive dimension of that. And it requires partnership working at a big scale across the county. If I was to be police and crime commissioner, what I'd be wanting to do would be to work with all the local councils, with the schools, with the businesses, and you know all sectors to really um, get to this position where Merseyside was seen widely as a low crime area, where the reputation that still lingers about drugs and guns and stuff was the thing of the past, and where the business community could feel confident about doing business on Merseyside without being tarnished with that kind of stuff and people could thrive and prosper at an individual and family level here on Merseyside. So you see, when I put it like that, it seems like a natural extension of public health work. It, it most certainly does. And uh, I'm glad I asked the question because it makes me understand more as to why you would uh, throw your hat in the ring. If nothing else, John, you will certainly liven the debate and discussion around a role that I think has found some difficulty in getting the, the necessary profile, perhaps, that you would hope that such an important position would have in a city like Liverpool. I think that's right. I mean, I, I think um, the police commissioner, and this is why, why I don't think the police commissioner should belong to a political party, you know, and I left the Labour Party some time ago now. I'm an independent person. I don't belong to a political party. I think it's important that the police commissioner should, police and crime commissioner should uh, represent everybody, all two million people on Merseyside, not one particular faction or party or whatever, and should be able to really champion the cause of, um, you know, good neighbourliness, getting on with each other, living happily together, and thriving and making the most out of a region which you and I know is the best region in the country to live in. John, I've got to try and uh, pretend that I'm politically neutral. And so I will just say that we'll uh, have a conversation perhaps in more detail about your ambitions in terms of the police and crime commissioner role when we're back to normal and we can get you in front of a live downtown audience. Excellent, Frank. Good to talk. It's been great to speak to you. Sorry about the challenging technology, but I, honestly, John, it's been one of the most informative conversations we've had, and I'm sure our listeners and our viewers will have uh, will take away an awful lot from the comments that you've made today. So thank you for joining us. Thanks very much, Frank. Stay safe. Cheers. You too, John. Thank you.